0: everyone it's mittens again with another episode of supernatural george i hope everybody's having a lovely week more lovely than jenny with a g the newly turned vampire whose name we will not know for years to come uh and then only on the original script which we only have casting sides for three of the characters in this episode three of the vampires and On Kate's, there is one reference to Jenny with a G, and it's clear that it's that character. And it's not Jenny with a J, it's Jenny with a G. Whoever she is, we will discover in this episode, because nobody will ever remember her by the time we get to the series finale. In fact, you're more likely to remember her as Dr. Piccolo from Changing Channels, because yes, she plays Dr. Piccolo, the one who keeps slapping sam (laughs) telling him he's a beautiful genius or whatever it is and or beautiful coward or whatever we're seasons away from changing channels unfortunately but that's the same actress just as a hearty laugh there (laughs) i'm surprised they didn't remember her as dr piccolo rather than jenny the vampire so yet another one to throw in your was any of that real bag for the finale which we'll be talking about a fair bit during this episode because there's a lot of big themes related to knowing the whole truth and defying your place in the universe as to john always compared to chuck as far as the god figure role in their young lives versus in you know all of existence but John has always been the small-scale parallel for Chuck, and this is the first episode where Sam and Dean truly defy John, like, directly to his face. This is their moment of tearing up the pages, of expressing their own free will, and making themselves heard. So, good on them. But, that's as a brief aside here before we get into the nitty-gritty of this episode... This is one reason that it just irks me when people... I know, I I get why, but the whole thing that Cass invented free will, and it's like, dude, he learned it from these guys, especially from Dean, who finally stands up to John in this episode in, in a way that he never had in his whole life. He tore up the pages here. He's the one who defied orders. He's the one who... makes it known to John that if they're doing this, he's an equal partner. And this is what actually matters in reality. Not your, just your vengeance quest, which is a major theme of the episode through the vampire characters as well. Vengeance. It's hollow. It doesn't win you anything because it, it gets everybody you care about dead. I just needed to get that off my chest because that's the point of view from which I am approaching this episode. That's the mindset from which I am thinking about this episode tonight. This is season one, episode 20, Dead Man's Blood. And it's our first introduction to the cult. It's our first introduction to vampires. John is back for better or worse. And the Winchester family is hunting together again. It's the only episode directed by Tony Warmby. So in all of Supernatural this was the one episode he directed and it's the first episode written by Catherine Humphreys. She wrote with John Scheiben, who we know from several previous episodes and who will continue to write for Supernatural for another season. But Catherine Humphreys has written some truly wonderful Episodes of Supernatural Uh, Her last episode is uh, Season 4, episode 14 Sex and Violence She brought us Dean Siren She brought us a good number of Good episodes here Which we will cover when we get to them But just, just so you can get a feel For her writing She eventually went on to become A supervising producer on Elementary So I personally enjoy most of her episodes so there we go there's one more thing that i was debating whether to read this now or when it comes up in the episode but i think i want to read it now because it colors how how we look at the rest of this episode it's the letter that daniel elkins leaves for john like the full text of this letter it reads john if you were reading this i'm already dead I don't know who's more stubborn between us, but well, you know, it's a damn shame to have to say goodbye this way. But if you know the if you knew the truth of it, you'd probably have killed me yourself. You see, old friend, I've got the Colt. Least I had it. Can't say who or what might have it now. Check my safe. The combination's one you remember. 382 11 if it ain't there just follow the trail of my blood I really do pray you get the gun and put a silver bullet right between that bastard's yellow eyes we're taking a momentary break while my cat finishes sharpening his claws you done Morgan Mm mm-hmm thanks Morgan he added audio ambiance to this recording (laughs) But the number for the safe is the day Mary died uh, in reverse. Three eight two eleven is eleven two eighty three uh, in reverse. So that's the number to Daniel Elkin's safe. He chose Mary's date of death as his safe combination. Which, knowing the entire future of this series, how? Dean You know when Dean is goes back to 1970, you know the the 1970s and has to get the Colts and try, you know, that whole situation where he drives all the way out to Elkins to get the Colt from borrow it from Elkins and return it, and and he says you can f- pick it up at the Campbells in Lawrence, Kansas, and Elkins is like I've never heard of these people, and yet Mary's date of death is his safe combination. It's like. You have to wonder if he started keeping an eye on Mary or if he befriended Mary or if he just figured out what was going on long before John did, because he knows about the yellow-eyed demon. He knows about Mary's date of death. He knows that John has been looking for the cult for years, probably, and knew what killed Mary long before John even did. So... It's weird that he never shared this information, that he hid it from John, almost like something came to Elkins and said, this is a prophecy. You've got to let it play out that way. You can't spill this information before it becomes relevant to the rest of the plan. And for whatever reason, he was compelled to not tell John he had the cult, not tell John he knew Mary, just the fact that safe combination was mary's death date means he knew her he followed her life he followed john's life and obviously he and john had had a falling out at some point like john had with every hunter ever but this one is different it hits different it hits like something that we know because of future episodes is a much bigger deal the the history of the cult mary's knowledge and of the cult, you know, even if she only thought of it as like a bedtime story that her father told her about when she was little, you know, she won't remember Dean having brought it there in 1973 to use to try and kill Azazel at that point because none of that will ever play out. You know, I wonder if, if Elkins talked to Mary when he brought back that cult, uh, when he went to pick it up. And if they had like a silent agreement just about the yellow eyed demon, like Elkins knew this whole time and he obviously hid it from John, possibly even at Mary's request. Don't tell my husband about any of this. Keep him out of this. Keep him safe. As far as we know, she she would have. So it's just, it's a lot. But when y- you cannot overlook future canon, when, when we're looking at this episode here and now and the significance of it and what it will mean, it is just so much more fulfilling to look at it in, as part of the bigger picture and to understand what is being set up here, even if the writers at the time had no idea any of this was a setup for anything. But they utilized the past so well when they wrote those later episodes that bring back these little details even into season six when we go back to the 1860s and meet Samuel Colt but we also meet Daniel Elkins's ancestor who was given the Colt by Colt himself after the shootout that killed the phoenix it's like it had all been just so long set up by the actions of angels and it's just wild it's cool how they were able to lay down things like this that they were able to use to enlarge the future canon so i never saw anything on the show as a plot hole or a dropped thread it's always something that they laid down so many threads because someday it might be interesting to pick them up again not that they would have any plot bearing on the rest of the show like if they had never gone back and picked up the cult or found the cult in in the 1860s and whatever the case may be if, if they never did any of this stuff they, they could have had a different show sure but it wouldn't have like dramatically affected the overall outcome of events you know other things could have been written in other means to get these other solutions could have been established instead of doing that they chose to work with whenever possible to work with something from the past and bring it forward so i never see it as a plot hole i always see it as as an opportunity for possible future plots like i mean unless it's something that truly just totally leaves the plot dangling in a huge way like heaven (laughs) We never really understand what's going on up there beyond the very basics. And despite it having been a major plot point for many seasons. So, like, some things were not handled well. Other things are. But I appreciate the way the Colts' history is handled throughout the series. Even though we know it was probably one of those Chuck deus ex machina literally uh, things set into the plot. To make stuff like this happen. Because when you think about it. So much of the history of the cult. Literally involves time travel. That it was placed into the past. In these specific ways. And it's just fascinating. And like the history of it was placed into the past. And its significance. Was rendered significant. Because of the way it got seeded into later canon. Like. Showing this history of it. Showing that there was a bigger lore surrounding it, that it wasn't some obscure and secret weapon, but hunters told their children bedtime stories about it. You know, that every hunter seemed to know that it existed, thought it was a mythical thing because it had disappeared for so long just because it had been in an Elkins family safe. So anyway, I'm getting so far off the topic, but things like this just make this show make me appreciate the writing make me appreciate the continuity of things like this where it exists because it's cool it's really well done sometimes that said i suppose we should be getting to the cold open the then segment of this episode is basically a history of everything Sam has said about John and finding John and how important it is to find John to stay together he wants how desperately he wants to be in on this revenge mission he needs to be involved he needs to figure out who killed Jess and get his revenge he needs to be part of this and John has been pushing them off and all the time Sam has tried to pushed dean into finding john instead of doing the hunt that john sent them on the little side missions and quests that he'd been sending them on all season long and how sam was getting frustrated with this and when they finally did meet john in shadow at the end of the episode dean even agreed with john it's safer if we're apart we're just gonna get dad killed we're not helping here we're hurting him being near him so that whole thing of we're safer apart that will become a thing for years to come in the series you know that they always go through these phases where they think they're safer apart or where they're safer not having the information hiding the truth to protect your loved ones and stuff that just never works and this is the first episode where Sam and Dean are like no enough and they stand up to it and try and stop it so finally that happens but the then segment, the previously on Supernatural segment, which was the introduction to which was voiced by Jeffrey Dean Morgan. So we we hear his voice right from the outset of the episode, which is another first that he was centered as the important character in the episode that way. From there we go to the cold open in Manning, Colorado. We start on Daniel Elkins sitting at a bar in a what sounds like a crowded roadhouse he's just sitting at the bar with his hunter journals open just pouring over his notes and looking extremely worried but the bartender knows him well knows you know he's mr elkins he lives up the canyon he she just casually tells another patron at the bar who he is and what he's up to and that you know he he's a little bit of a nut going over his papers here every day so this is clearly like his normal routine and of course, he's got like a sixth sense when the group of vampires walks in like he just senses them somehow that he knows they're vampires like he's the first of what we think of as a vampire specialist in the show. Like we will learn that so many other hunters are specialists in a certain type of supernatural creature like you'll hear about Rougarou specialists and people who only hunt vampires like Gordon Walker over the years, you, but Elkins, it, you kind you never really know for sure, but you kind of are under the impression that because of things John will say in this episode about him that he was a specialist in vampires and was known to vampires that he' apparently killed Luther the vampire's previous nest. So he recognizes them on without even having to look up. he knows that something is coming. Vampires are coming. It's weird he has this sense for them because so many people just don't even recognize vampires most of the time the other thing is we see when he races back to his cabin isolated in the woods when he gets there the vampire lady from the bar is already there kate the vampire is already there he throws a knife at her and she pulls the knife out of her chest and it's like, Oh, you know better than that. And briefly her eyes flash this like sort of golden color. And we will never see that again in a vampire. We will never see that. eye shine ever again. So interesting that they chose to do that in this episode. And then never again. I mean, it's a sign of other supernatural creatures, but not vampires from here on out. So, I mean, not even the alpha vampire had, Weird eye shine, but Elkins runs and barricades himself in his office, trying to buy himself some time. He opens his safe, pulls out a gun, that we know is the Colt, fumbles to load the bullets in it, cause he kept it unloaded for whatever reason. And as like his last resort, I don't know why he didn't reach for a machete and just behead these vampires. But as he was loading the gun, two jumped through skylights in his roof. And eventually, Kate walks in, picks up the gun, and says, like, nice gun, wouldn't do you much good, of course, and then instructs her, the two men that came with her, to dine to their heart's content on Elkins. Cold open, there's your title card. But of course, we know that gun would kill vampires, but there's only five bullets left. That's all he had was five bullets, so... Why he Like I said, why he didn't reach for a machete and just chop their heads off or have some better backup plan than having his gun locked in the safe. I mean, I understand why he kept it in the safe. There's only five bullets. This thing only works five more times, to his knowledge. So best keep it locked away. It's not like he could, you know, just use it at random. He didn't think there was a way to make any more bullets for it, or likely he would have made more bullets for it. But Kate takes the gun with her because of course she does. The first shot post title card is really interesting because they will repurpose this exact same piece of footage to show the outside of the cafe that Sam and Dean are eating in in Season 12, Episode 5, The One You Were Waiting For. Another episode about a controlling father and a blood-related quest and monsters who do monstrous things literally dean kills hitler in that episode in this episode he basically puts his foot down and claims his own autonomy against john so interesting parallel that they would go back to season one to take this one little exterior shot of this cafe that says home cooking on the window literal exact same shot same car drives by in the foreground same pedestrian walks by on the sidewalk same waitress wearing the same top walks the same path inside the diner except it's colored differently it's darkened for the future episode but the inside of the diner the lights are made brighter so it's literally the only change and I have a post in my tag for this episode about that and it's fascinating so i'm not gonna spend too much time on one single shot like when i've already been at this for like 20 minutes so let's get moving (laughs) but that's the diner where dean actually does order cake because he doesn't feel like he deserves pie so uh, but he eats a whole slice of chocolate cake back to this current episode though we'll get there in like 12 seasons so We have to assume that Sam and Dean are in Nebraska because Dean is looking at the local paper and saying there's not a decent lead in all of Nebraska, and Sam is on the laptop saying he's scan scanning Wyoming and Iowa, so I assume they're somewhere in Nebraska and looking all around where they are currently. They can't find anything to hunt in Colorado or South Dakota or any other place nearby, so Dean suggests they just keep driving east, maybe to upstate New York to visit Sarah And Sam's like, maybe someday, but right now we've got work to do. We've got to find dad. We've got to, you know, find leads on this demon, you know, like whatever. They're looking for signs now. Now that they're aware of what to look for, thanks, John, for being real specific about that, they are trying to do what they can. So Sam continues on reading weird news and mentions a Daniel Elkins in Colorado who was mauled inside his home. And Dean's like, Elkins, I know that name. Why do I know that name? And it's uncanny when you know that Dean actually will have met him at this point. Elkins knew Dean. Dean had not yet met Elkins. Kind of weird that way, you know, Elkins met him in 1973. Dean won't meet him until three years from now. So, (laughs) (laughs) time travel messes everything up, doesn't it? But Dean recognizes the name because it's written in the journal. And he's been studying that journal religiously. He goes right to the page. And the only thing written in the journal is D. Elkins and a phone number with a Colorado area code, as Dean says, like he recognized it was a Colorado area code. He remembered just D. Elkins as a phone number, like not even an address or a description or why that name was in the journal or anything but of course because it's in the journal they're gonna go investigate and it's just amazing to me how all these things connect to become leads it's like yeah the universe is fucking with you guys so sam and dean drive to his cabin let themselves in late at night and discover that yes Daniel Elkins was a hunter they find his journal I mean they actually needed to find his journal to tell this Sam finds the salts on the floor and Dean asks well is it like demon protection salt or is it spilled my popcorn salt and it's like dude who would have enough salt on the floor from spilling popcorn to actually notice it like (laughs) that's a lot of really overly salted popcorn but just looking around the guy's walls, he's got pictures of weird things all over his walls. It looks like any number of motel rooms we've seen in the past where they basically start erecting a murder board on the wall of their motel. And, like, dude, you guys, all you have to do is glance around the room and know he was a, a hunter or at least involved in that world. While they're doing that, we pan outside And see someone standing in the woods ominously watching the house. I mean, yeah, we can all tell it's John Winchester, but we just see him from the back in the shot. So ooh, it could be another bad guy waiting to kill them, too. (gasps) Ooh, No, no, it's John. He's just being a jerk by not going in and like announcing himself. As they're looking around, Dean finds the box that the colt had been stored in on the floor, but it's empty. There's no bullets. There's no gun kind of hidden by some blood on the floor. He finds a bunch of numbers carved into the floor and he traces it and realizes it's a post office box location and combination lock. He recognizes it as a post drop that John has used to leave letters for other people who have the combination to the to the post box or to hide important information someplace safe you know you pay for the post office box you've got a little safe basically so I guess nobody can screw with the U.S. mail or whatever they go to the post box place and get the letter that's inside the box that's when John surprises them by showing up knocking on their window and scaring the crap out of them he thinks it's funny it's not funny John The letter inside the box is addressed to J.W., which we know is John Winchester. Sam and Dean are wondering if that's who it's addressed to. But yeah, John knows because he jumps in the back seat. So John blows back into their lives and starts dumping information on them that he'd known Daniel Elkins for years until they had had a falling out. And John had known about vampires because that was Elkin's specialty. That's what he killed best, that he never told Sam and Dean they were even real. Dean seemed to imply that John had told him they were not real. Like those aren't real, you know, and yet John had known about vampires, never recorded anything about them in his journal, not even the fact that they had existed. It's just All this information that could have been useful and could have potentially saved their lives if John had been wrong knowing your trade. But John John doesn't... He's not about sharing knowledge. He's about knowing what you need to for this moment right now. And that's it. No more, no less. Like, that's not helpful. Because there's things that could have helped them all along that we've seen before if they'd only known... To look for them. You know they could have protected themselves better against Meg. They could have been more. Um, more aware of demons. And demonic activity. They could have been aware that vampires. Even existed at all. And yeah they tend to be quiet. And keep to themselves like years from now. We'll hear the alpha vampire. Talk about how they. Keep to themselves they don't. Go out and like slaughter people. They, they take what they need. And they live quietly and alone and like you know even vampires like lenore who her little group that just didn't prey on humans at all they'd found other ways to to live they didn't want to interfere with humanity because that's how you get on the radar of hunters and that's how these never-ending back-and-forth vengeance quests start a hunter kills a vampire pack one survives comes back and kills the hunter or other hunters and then the hunter's friends take revenge and go kill another vampire. It's like it just never ends. Where's where's the end of it? So the alpha vampire had mostly kept it, it's implied later on that he'd mostly kept his vampires under his control and kept them from even coming to the attention of hunters. So in a lot of ways, this is like blowing the lid off their years of secrecy and hiding. So sorry, vampires. This one vampire who thought she was getting vengeance and it would be a pleasant surprise for her her partner vampire that she'd gotten revenge for him. And he's just angry and upset about it. He's old enough to know that that's not the way you do things. Meanwhile, John is lecturing Sam and Dean Sam is shocked that John even wants to include them in this hunt because that's just how badly John needs this gun. Sam's like, well, why? Why do we need this gun? And John's like, just it's important. And he can't even stop and tell him this is the only thing that would kill the demon. I mean, he eventually will. But he just expects blind obedience from Sam and Dean to follow him, to listen to what he has to say, and then to act on it without question, without understanding just like little soldiers and it's just frustrating but it's interesting realizing that this has basically been their entire lives john voiceovers all the lore we know about vampires from from the whole history of the show over a shot of some of the vampire pack staging a car accident they're all just drinking in the woods like hiding off the side of the road stayed to stage a car accident a car accident scene one of the vampires lies down in the road C- a car coming stops and they are concerned that somebody's lying in the road so they approach they get out of the car and approach to try and offer help or call for help and of course it's a trap and the t- the couple in the car gets captured by the vampires we cut back to the cabin where john is hiding out with sam and dean and Sam and Dean are sleeping, or I guess it might be a motel. Um, Sam and Dean are sleeping. John's sitting at a table listening to the police scanner and hears about the car and the couple missing nearby and he knows it's the vampires that got them. So John wakes them up, drags them out, is like, it's the vampires, just follow me. And, and Sam's like, how do you know? What, what are we looking for here? And John is just like, just shut up and follow me. And it's like, dude, would it really kill you to stop for 30 seconds and just give your children the information they need to protect themselves? You moron. He thinks he's keeping them safe by, like, just not telling them. I mean, yeah, he, you know, he he already gave them the lore dump about what kills them and what doesn't kill them. Like, ooh, yeah, sunlight's not going to hurt them and blah, blah, blah. That beheading them the only way to kill them, really. But... They don't know anything else. They don't know what what signs to look for in a vampire. He didn't even give them the basic biological information like he will in this scene coming up. Once they're at the crime scene, Sam and Dean wait off to the side while John goes down to talk to the police and see what's what. But he's the one who finds the vampire tooth and then has to explain to Sam and Dean that, no, they don't have fangs. They have a retractable set of teeth. It's like... All this information, John has apparently always known about vampires, but didn't even choose to share their fact of their existence with Sam and Dean. It's just infuriating, but so typical of John. Sam is cranky because he doesn't, un- he says to Dean, I don't understand why we couldn't have gone over there with him. Meanwhile, they're just standing off to the side. They both, they all showed up in two separate vehicles, and yet. Sam and Dean just wait off to the side while John goes over and talks to the cops. It's just a weird circumstance. And I'm with Sam there. Why couldn't they have gone over with him? It's like, but Dean's response isn't, dude, dad's got it under control. He'll fill us in when he comes back or something like that. It's, dude, it's already started again. Meaning Sam and John arguing with each other. Sam's like, well, what's starting again? I can see Doesn't it sound childish and petulant when you have the bigger context here of Sam being like, I don't understand why we couldn't go. Why couldn't we go with him? You know, it sounds petulant, but I mean, it doesn't coming out of Sam's mouth until you start thinking about the history of it and knowing that, wow, this goes all the way back to like Sam's earliest memories were probably things like this. And that makes so much sense in context. So the petulance and the childishness of that statement is so fitting because it reminds us that, yeah, we're seeing this happen now, but this is Sam's whole life. This is the context for why he is as upset as he is with John. And it's perfect because it reminds you that he really has never known another kind of relationship with John that... He expects this sort of behavior of John because John's been pulling it on him since he was a toddler. You know, and even Dean has, to an extent, under John's orders to keep secrets from Sam. So it's got to be frustrating. And just the way John finally answers Sam's question, it's just equally petulant. And that's just not attractive in a 50-something-year-old man. (laughs) It really isn't. Sam's like how do you know how do you know we're on the right track how do you know the vampires went that way like how do you know we're not wasting our time following this lead because they don't really have a lead and John's just like just follow me I know we're on the right track and Sam has to repeatedly argue to get an answer John finally pulls the vampire tooth out of his pocket and hands it not to Sam to Dean to inspect. Dean's like, what is this? A vampire fang? John explains it's a tooth, and they have a second set that descends. But Sam now is just like, ugh. And it's almost like John had that calculated to shut down any further questioning that he knew Sam would have. Like he answered the basic question that Sam had been most pestery about, about are you sure we're on the right track? Are you sure we're going the right way? Are you sure we're following them? And John looks right at Sam while Dean is examining the tooth and goes, any more questions? And then just for good measure, as he's walking back to his truck, he takes a shot at Dean, the, the loyal and obedient son, who was not questioning orders and was prepared to get in the car and just follow John if John had asked him to and Sam hadn't been there. He would have. John takes a shot at Dean about the car being you know, going to get rusty if if you don't take care of it better. Like, I wouldn't have given you the car if I thought you wouldn't take good care of it. Like, really? Really, John? That's your parting shot at at Dean, who did nothing to contradict you. You're just going to punish Dean for Sam being pushy. Like, dude, they deserve the truth. And they deserve to not be berated because of it john tells dean i wouldn't have given you the damn thing if i thought you were gonna ruin it and sam starts to like smirk at dean like haha look dad got you good huh and he sees the look on dean's face sees that dean doesn't take this as a joke isn't taking this lightly and the attempt at a smirk just drops off sam's face dean just shakes his head and they get in the car sam drives Dean researches about vampires and Sam is once again explaining to Dean you know Dean is like "I'm reading about how vampires hold their victims and drain them over days or weeks and wonders if that's what happened to this couple that's missing that they just interviewed with the police about he's wondering if the vampires took them and Dean's like yeah that's probably what dad thinks And Sam's like, well, we'd know for sure if he would just tell us what he thinks. And Dean looks over at Sam and is like, so it is starting again. You are going to just argue with everything. But I have to side with Sam here. And Dean eventually will, too. It would be nice if John actually shared information with them. It is relevant to their current hunt they're all working on. Meanwhile, Dean has to sit there and research and learn the bare basics about vampires from a book instead of John just actually talking to them. Sam expresses the point that that may have flown when they were kids. You know, John just giving all the orders and expecting them to obey without question. That may have worked when they were kids, but after everything they've been through in the last year, they deserve to be treated like equals like equal in hunting status they've been on their own even while sam was at sanford dean was on his own for a lot of that time hunting on his own so it's like haven't they earned a little bit more than the way john is still trying to treat them like children and dean again attempts to defend john a little bit well that's the nature of the job sometimes there's just not time. You just have to trust that the person in charge is knows what they're doing and is giving you good orders and stuff. And they trust John to do that, but they deserve better than this. Sam just kind of like stares at him, like trying to get through to Dean, I guess, in a way. But Dean is clearly thinking this himself as well. But Sam asks, so you're just cool with letting him run the whole show you're cool with just following every order he gives and dean looks at him and is like if that's what it takes and there's that is a weighted statement because we know that john is in this for revenge he's in this to kill the thing that killed mary we know that sam is in this for revenge he's here to kill the thing that killed jess but we don't really know, aside from saving people and hunting things, the being his idea of the family business, we don't really know what Dean is in, in this for. He's in this for his family. His family, John and Sam, are everything he has in the world. And he is desperate to keep them all together. So that line, if that's what it takes isn't about if that's what it takes to kill this monster or if that's what it takes to finish this hunt successfully for him, for Dean, that's what it takes means if that's what it takes to keep our family together. I I'm willing to follow his orders. If it keeps us all together and that's just heartbreaking. (laughs) Cause Sam doesn't really understand that yet. Sam's still on the, once I get revenge, I can be free, you know, and he may not really be thinking that far ahead right now at this moment, but that's the last mindset that he shared with Dean. Dean is not ready for that. He's not ready to say goodbye to his family yet. As John and Sam and Dean drive through the night, we cut back to the barn where the vampires have holed up and have their little nest, and they have the couple tied up. The one vampire who was the bait for them to catch these, this couple in the first place is just being gross to them, getting trying to get them to drink and drink alcohol, not blood. Uh, but the man refuses Jenny, as we know her name is, because they never actually say it in this episode. But the woman, I'm going to refer to her as the woman, uh, takes a sip of the beer reluctantly but she's afraid of these people and she's doing what she has to except she doesn't actually drink it she spits it in the vampire's face good for her spunk so the vampire that kate the vampire had been waiting for his return luther the head of this group he's at least he's about the same age as the cult she guesses when she looks at the cult so Uh, apparently he's about 170 years old like old for a vampire but not terribly old for a vampire but he's the head of this group she greets him enthusiastically with a kiss climbing him like a tree and tells him that she brought him presents he assumes she means the two people and he goes and checks them out and he goes and kind of like dismisses the guy and but he likes the woman just fine Luther gives his family permission to eat the guy, so they devour him as he screams, and the woman watches on in horror. While Luther and Kate just wander over, and she shows him the cult, the weapon that he recognizes, unfortunately. And he's very upset with her for having done this, for having. He knows that she found Elkins and that she got revenge for him and he did not want that i mean he was upset that his that elkins had killed his former family but revenge was not in the cards for him he did not want that he did not want to escalate this again and luther proves that he is the smartest person in this entire episode including the winchesters revenge isn't worth it if you end up dead he knows that other hunters will now be after them that they're not safe anymore that they could have just stayed low and flown under the radar even though they their actions had attracted the attention of the police the Winchesters would never have even been looking for that call when they took the these random people if she hadn't drawn their attention by killing Elkins all their other people that they've captured and eaten were just disappearances odd missing people here and there they didn't hit hunter radar until she actively pushed the issue and killed elkins that hit hunter radar and now they're looking for them so all of their actions from this point on are going to be under scrutiny by other hunters who will want them dead for killing their guy luther had it right revenge isn't worth anything if you if you die for it she took all this stuff from elkins as trophies she thought luther would be happy that elkins was finally dead for having killed his previous family but it doesn't work that way revenge doesn't get you anything except on the radar of something even worse because what has sam and john been on all year a revenge quest dean has been trying to hold them both together especially Sam holding him in hunting and and keeping an eye on him keeping him safe and as best he can but they have no idea what this bigger picture is and what would come for them if they got revenge was the thing that killed Mary just a thing working on its own well of course not we don't find out until much later the true gravity of of the everything that happened there the whole apocalypse plot and how they were their lives had always been engineered to be that but the whole point of getting revenge did they really think that it would just end that that they would be able to just walk away and have peace and that's what's always boggled me about how Sam has put all of his belief in that and I mean later we'll see people like Kevin Tran put similar belief in it and hope that Once I achieve this task, this specific thing, I can walk away and go back and have a normal life again. And it just, it doesn't work that way. There's always something bigger and badder and something more that comes along because it was never just about just getting revenge. There's always something that's going to come after you for having gotten revenge. And it just never ends because... That's just how life is. I mean, even if it wasn't the supernatural, even if it wasn't Chuck's plot, would they ever have really, truly been able to walk away? Would Sam for the rest of his life really, truly be able to read about something in the newspaper that he knows is a monster kill? Would he be able to read about that, you know, and then just drive off to his law firm and just assume somebody else is going to get the monster? Like, is that realistic? Like, could he really have done that? There would have eventually been something that just, he would have had to respond. It would have been close to him. It would have been somebody he knew. It would have been a local haunting that he heard about. It would be something. Nothing can ever completely take you out of this life. If that's what they need to think in order to be able to get through the awful things that they've seen and done and had done to them, I guess that's something? Hope? Hope? But it's not realistic hope. Especially not when there's subjects of a plot of a television program about hunting supernatural things. (laughs) You know, if Sam really did wander off and go back to Stanford and live a normal life, he would no longer be on the show because the show's not called Law Boy Sam. It's called Supernatural. And if he's not dealing with the supernatural, he's not part of a plot. That's just how this show works. (laughs) I mean, come on. But back to the plot. So Kate is still laughing that about the fact that Elkins was trying to load the gun like he could could have hurt them with the gun. But Luther knows he looks at the gun. And he holds it reverently, almost like with fear that he's like, I, I know this gun. I've seen it before. This is not an ordinary gun. So the mythos of the, the cult has already begun even a vampire who probably hasn't seen it in generations, like since he was, a maybe even since he was newly turned or whatever, since Colt still had it, or the original Elkins had it. He probably hadn't seen it since the Colt was new. He knows what it is. He knows how dangerous a weapon this is and that other hunters will come for it. Once again, Sam is still driving, which is odd that Sam has done so much of the driving in this episode when he doesn't really drive the Impala much, but they're following John and John Dean answers the phone is like, gives John, uh, Sam the order to get off uh, at the next exit because, and Sam's like, why? And Dean says, because they've got, we, we think we got a lead on the vampires. We got them cornered. Sam's like, how, like, how do you know this? And Dean's like, I don't know, because dad said so. And Sam just, he gets that frustrated, gritted his teeth face, floors the gas on the Impala, passes John's truck, and turns sideways, blocking the road. So John has to confront them now. And Sam is pissed. He is tired of just getting led around with no information hunting something they've never hunted before and john obviously knows more i don't blame sam for being pissed here but holy cow i think having the temper tantrum here is not the way to get the information so sam gets out of the car confronts john face to face they argue sam's like tell tell us about everything and john's like just get back in the car and Dean's like, yeah, we'll talk it all out after we kill the vampires. You know, like, let's handle this emergency situation first. Sam's like, what's so important about this gun? And John's like, just get back in the car. They end up yelling about how Sam, he's like, this, this is exactly why I left for Stanford. He's tired of being treated like a child. And poor Dean, he's stuck in the middle. And Sam's probably pissed at him for not taking his side. And John's probably pissed at him for not taking his side. But Dean is just trying to de-escalate. He's trying to get them both to stop yelling at each other. Like he even says to John, you know, when these when Dean's like put get Sam back in the car, he's like, you too, you know, like you get back in your car too. Like Dean is just at his wit's end trying to keep both of them from killing each other. Like <laughs> he's always had to be the peacemaker between them the buffer for Sam to protect him from the worst of John's wrath that's probably the only reason Sam feels bold enough to stand up to John like this now is that if Dean had ever tried to stand up to John like that what do we think would have happened to Dean like come on yeah there's no rationalizing that away He would have beat Dean's ass or thrown Dean out or dropped him off at a place like Sunny's again or given him the cold shoulder for failing Sam or isolated Dean from Sam in some way to punish him. And it's just infuriating that just Sam already even knows a little bit about that history and yet he's still acting like this. He's still escalating a situation where he knows, he is literally knows what happens to Dean when Sam is not okay and Sam is not acting okay right now. So I think, is it just selfishness that Sam is just this angry and this, you know, he's tired of being dragged along on this never-ending hunt like does he not understand that his actions have consequences for Dean and that Dean has covered up the consequences of of Sam's outbursts like this in the past. Re- he really doesn't put that together and it's infuriating because it was what two episodes ago where Sam is like, oh, I know why you I know why you always follow Dad's orders because you're protecting me And it's like, dude. What do you think's going on here now? Like, (laughs) like, have an iota of emotional awareness about how this is going to affect Dean. Like, granted, yes, you're all adults now, but there's never any conversation about this with Sam and Dean where he expresses that he remembers that this is a fact, like, (laughs) that he knows. And it, it just... It's infuriating to me, especially when I see people online talking about how yeah, you know, well Sam's the the one with, you know, emotional intelligence and knows what about his feelings. It's like, dude, no. He's he's like he's about as emotionally intelligent as a stone. Like <laughs> ah, sometimes I just want to scream about it. But we're going to move on now because I I don't want to be mad at Sam. I want to be mad at John. And Obviously, neither Sam nor Dean would have to be playing this game at all if it hadn't been for John putting them in this situation. So let's put the blame where it actually lies. But man, you'd think Sam and Dean would be able to team up against him on this one. And I mean, eventually they do. But it's frustrating having to watch them go through this. Meanwhile, back at the Vampire's Barn, Luther and Kate are putting on a little show for the poor woman making out and she's like, are you going to kill me? And they're like, Oh no, no. Luther cuts Kate's arm. Kate drinks some of her, puts some of her own blood in her mouth, kisses the woman. And we know that turns her into a vampire. So from the woods outside, it's now daytime. Another vampire finally gets back to the nest and find out that sam dean and john have been hiding in the woods watching these vampires and like waiting for for the coast to be clear for them to go inside so we finally get a look at the inside of john's truck as they're arming up to infiltrate this barn of vampires getting their machetes out we see the comparison between the impala's trunk which was probably set up by john decades ago and we know exactly what the trunk of the Impala is but he's got this like almost mechanically motorized slide out weapons cache box with foam lined and all the weapons in their proper places super organized and it's like dude why wasn't the Impala's trunk ever like super organized like that it's it's a mess in comparison i mean not a mess but i mean it's organized it's just you know it is what it is it's a mishmash of stuff john's new truck is like outfitted for like one single-minded purpose but he finally says so you boys really want to know about the cult well like duh of course they do this is like the whole point of why they are risking their lives going into a barn filled with an unknown number of vampires they want to know what what's so important about the cult please tell us so it's sam that says Yes, sir. Like, he's finally going to get some answers. Okay, now he can be respectful. Almost like a contrition. Like, I'm willing to make this sacrifice and behave in the way you want me to because you're willing to comply with our needs for information. And it's only fair. It's only fair that John actually share the information. So Daniel Elkins has had this gun that could kill the demon that killed mary there's not much that will kill a demon i mean you can banish it back to hell with an exorcism or injure it with holy water or other some other weapons but like you can't kill kill a demon like with very few weapons we know angel blades but you know they don't even know angels exist yet ruby's knife which they won't get until next season (laughs) so as far as we know that's a -a one-of-a-kind knife Uh, at least in canon we've never seen another hunter who had one not a lot can actually kill a demon like dead kill so it's odd that daniel elkins may have had this gun all along knew its power all along because dean himself told him in 1973 Exactly why he needed that gun to kill a yellow eyed demon. He knew about this all this time. He knew what John was hunting. He knew what killed Mary. He knew everything. And he never told John. Interesting why he didn't tell John. What stopped him? I'd always been curious to know that. But in my head, I just imagine it was either something threatened him or convinced him not to or simply prevented him from acting on that before this episode and the events of the apocalypse or the beginning of this whole plot were beginning to unfold in this way. And of course, we all remember what happens in this next scene as they're wandering through the barn trying to find the woman to save and Dean finds a whole caged room full of people. John sees the Colt across the room and Luther in kate's bedroom but he can't get to it because sam is trying to untie the woman who we know has been turned into a vampire and as she begins to stir and wake up he tells her i'm here to save you like trying to quiet her and of course she does creepy vampire scream that's the only words we ever hear her say to sam and dean is i'm trying to we're here to save you and (laughs) She just does the animal scream thing. So, okay, where's the history between them? She hadn't even become part of this group yet. She was barely a vampire. She didn't blame them for turning her. She didn't have any emotional attachment to these vampires yet. Why? Why Why any emotional bond here? Why bother to hunt them down? Other than the fact that John had said, you know, once, once a vampire has your scent, it's for life. And it's just like, well, why did she even care? Like, did they not learn anything about what revenge gets you? Why would this particular vampire who learned the hard way that revenge ruins your life after Luther told her not to, you know, he was angry about her killing Elkins and bringing the gun? It's like... Why did she not learn the lesson? It's like, why would she send Jenny out like 15 years later to get revenge against the Winchesters for what? They were getting revenge for Elkins' death, getting their property back, the Colt. They would not have done that if you had not killed Elkins. Like, ugh, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Where does it end? So they're going to go after Sam and Dean now and... I mean, she ended up dying anyway. Like, how well did she think this was going to go? Have you been paying attention to anything these guys have done in the last 15 years? Like, why? Why even this particular vampire who has zero emotional connection to the Winchesters at all? Like, why? There's no sense to it. And I'm tired of talking about it. So we're moving on to something other than the series finale. They finally make it out of the bar and they escape into the sunlight where the vampires are unwilling to follow and will wait until after dark. And of course now we learn about dead man's blood and Dean has to go off to the nearest funeral home to acquire some that it is poison to vampires. It's dope, it's like a drug to them, like it weakens them meanwhile sam and john finally get to have their little heart to heart john tells him the whole story about how he'd always saved up money for him to go to college that's what he always wanted for him and he was afraid of him being alone at college and not having anything anyone there to protect him and i guess after 18 years of living in terror for your children and to the point where you, ha- he, John even said, I stopped being your father and I became your droll sergeant. Like he understands that he fucked up big time. And yet it doesn't change the fact that from the children's point of view, he just fucked up and there, there's nothing can ever justify that. It's understandable as an adult, but like still fuck you. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's not how this works. Like, you're the parent. I was child. You would let this happen anyway. So at least Sam has an understanding from John's perspective that it wasn't that John wasn't proud of him. It was that it was exactly as Dean said, he was trying to protect him. And sticking together was the way to do that. But anyway, John says to Sam, it's just we're we're just different. And Sam's like, no, we're not. We're the same. We're not different anymore. After what happened to Jess, we're exactly the same. We're on the same mission. I understand exactly how you feel because I feel the same way. And finally, it's clicking for John here. Wait a second. How I felt about Mary all these years is exactly how Sam feels about Jess. And he deserves a, a role in this, and he deserves the information, and he does just as much as John does, Sam deserves all of that, but there's still the fact that revenge, and even lampshaded in this episode by the monster, revenge is useless if you all end up dead. It doesn't fix anything, it just makes other people dead, and that's just, dumb and that's that's dean's point of view here which we'll find out when he returns with the dead man's blood so the plan with the dead man's blood is literally the very similar plan to what the how the vampires trapped their prey dean pretends his car is broken down and acts as bait for them these very sexualized vampires. We, th- we've we seen them dancing in very little clothing. We've seen them stripping each other out of their clothes and making out. We've seen them sleeping naked in bed together. Like, everything they've done has been sensual, at least, if not overtly sexual. So what do they use as bait? Dean, regardless of which vampire shows up, dean is prepared to be bait for them this is his place he doesn't question it he doesn't resist it he just does his thing he pretends the impala is broken down lifts the hood and is looking inside at the engine in the dark and waiting because the vampires have his scent one of them's gonna show up here it's kate who shows up and flirts with dean's like i'll take you back to my place and Dean's like, ah, it's okay. I usually draw the line at necrophilia. And she smacks him and knocks him to the ground and then assaults him. Now, remember, this is the woman who t- has already turned or is the vampire who's already turned a woman into a vampire in this episode, literally by kissing her. So she grabs Dean by the face and kisses him, saying, I like to make new friends with the intent that yeah, she's implying she wants to turn dean into a vampire another much larger male vampire comes out of the woods and is like standing guard watching this happen as far as we knew in this moment you know she could have had blood in her mouth she could have been ready to turn him like right there on the spot and dean just had to take it. i mean he's pl- doing his part playing bait for this woman and Remember how I said John likes to use his kids as bait? Well, at least this time they he knew the plan going in. They, you know, he wasn't just completely in the dark and left to stumble into the situation where he was bait. So, I guess things are looking up for him in this way. I guess I mean, it's still awful and he's still being sexually assaulted by this vampire, but at least he knew it was coming just as she's letting him go and Dean's snarking back at her about not staying with a chick for eternity. Like he doesn't want to be a vampire. Then two crossbow bolts come out of the woods and one hits each of the vampires. They could have shot the bolts at the vampires before she sexually assaulted Dean. But apparently they were willing to wait and let that happen to, to Dean. Like, john was who knows was i'm assuming sam and john each fired one bolt was sam like okay fire it now fire it now and john's like wait 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 and i like to assume that sam at least was like fire already fire fire hopefully i mean he was at least trying to stand up for dean and not just sitting back and watching him get smooched on by vampire tick but this is also like the third time in this or the second time in this episode, she's been stabbed in the the same spot in the middle of her chest before like Elkins threw the knife at her chest and her response was damn it. And like pissed off that he ruined her jacket or a shirt or whatever. Now she gets shot through the back with the crossbow bolt and it's sticking out her chest and she looks down at it and and again says, damn it. And it's like, Is that her only response to getting stabbed in the chest? It's kind of hilarious. So as Sam and John come out of the woods with their crossbows and their machetes, the woman's like, it barely even stings. And John's like, give it time. It's covered in dead man's blood. That's like poison you, isn't it? And she slowly starts to pass out. He gives instructions to Sam and Dean to load her up. And he'll take care of the other one. He beheads the other vampire and brings kate with him john gives them a way to hide their scent from the vampires with this really terrible smelling smoky fire stuff which they will use again in the future but it's stinky stuff they're burning to hide their scent from vampires john starts giving them orders about how to hide their scent and get away and he's telling them that they will leave the area and that he's going to go face the vampires himself because he'll have her they won't attack him while he has Kate and he'll have the Colt, which he's trading her for. So he, they won't attack him while he has the Colt either. So he thinks he's going to be okay. And then Sam is like, okay, well, yeah, even if that plan all goes exactly right, we're going to meet up still, right? We're still going to meet up and use the gun to kill the thing that killed mom and Jess, because we are on the same page now. Right. And John's like, Oh, uh, dither, dither, wiffle waffle, you know, like, no, he, he had no intention of bringing Sam and Dean with him on that hunt. Yeah, sure. Maybe he'll drag them into some of the vampire hunt, but no, no. When it comes down to facing the demon, That's too much. That's too big. That's too scary. Like, okay, whatever. And right here, for the very first time, Dean stands up to John in a way that even startles Sam. Sam's like, you can't treat us like that, like children. And John's like, you are my children. You know, I'm trying to keep you safe. And dean's like with all due respect that's a bunch of crap and dean has figured it out it's not about john being worried that they can't stand up for themselves in front of the demon he's worried that if sam and dean are with him he won't be willing to do whatever it takes to kill the demon and dean rightly points it out oh you mean you won't be willing you won't be reckless and we find out that John does not expect to leave this, that battle against the demon alive. He expects to die in the process of killing it. And he is afraid that Sam and Dean might stop him or might do something to interfere if they thought that he was going to die. And he's like, it doesn't matter to him. He's basically admitted this is a suicide mission for him one way or another that he can't live without Mary anymore and he's done. And it, it's just depressing. <laughs> but Dean rightly calls him out on that. And it's almost exactly the sentiment that Sam shared with Sarah last week. John watched Mary die. He doesn't think he could watch his children die too. Like he can't watch anyone else he cares about die like that. And Dean rightly turns it around on him, what do you think it's going to do to us to watch you die like that? Don't be an idiot. Accept our how We all go in this together. We're all a family. This is how we care for each other. We have each other's backs. And it's like the fear of what could happen is almost paralyzing to all of them. Except Dean is like, but we all need to stick together. This is the only the only thing that makes it worth even fighting for any of this is because we have each other that's like the whole thing you're fighting for you can't fight to bring back the dead that does it doesn't work like that on this show i mean well (laughs) depends not yet anyway you fight for what you still have you fight to keep it you fight to keep it safe you (sighs) but you don't give up And Dean does a 180 from the end of Shadow when he was like, we're stronger apart. We're weaker when we're together. Now, right here, he comes out and says, no, we're stronger together. You know that we work better as a team. But John, he hears Dean, but he just ignores him completely and says, no, you do what you got to do. And then you get out. You let me handle this and you move on. And Sam and Dean, possibly for the very first time in Dean's life he ignores john's direct order and good because it ends up saving john's life so the vampires hear the truck up on the highway and realize that kate is in that truck and go chasing after john who has kate in the truck meanwhile dean and sam are back at the barn picking off all the other vampires who stayed behind Dean sneaks up behind one of the vampires which is so reminiscent of a scene in purgatory in season 8 when he's chasing after a vampire and you you see from the vampire's looks around and thinks he's escaped Dean and you see the the camera turns ever so slightly and you see Dean just standing behind the vampire and he turns around and sees Dean and Dean just chops his head off same exact scene the guy hears a noise and can't figure it out stands up and goes to investigate nothing happens and he sees nothing but dean's right behind him and says boo as the guy turns around and he just chops his head off so i like that the fact that they will call back to that particular scene way later down the line dean finds the cage of victims who'd been locked up to be blood for the vampires and he says i told you i'd come back and he finally breaks into their cage and frees them as we see that the cars that had been following john turned off their lights and have disappeared and he's wondering where they went to he's about to find out they're cutting him off at the pass as it were again with more of the creepy glowy vampire eyes in the headlights. It only happens in light reflections, but I've noticed it maybe half a dozen times in this episode, and it just bugs me that that they did it at all or that they never did it again. Either way bugs me. But the vampires finally have John. Half a dozen of them standing there and they go to do the exchange. Luther is like, You can't shoot all of us. We'll kill you if you try. And John's like I I don't need it for any of you I'm saving it for something else and again he could have de-escalated he could have just handed over the gun John would have handed Kate over and they could have walked away but John has now killed another one of his vampires and it's just like the cycle continues it's Kate's fault that the Winchesters even showed up here it for killing Elkins it's john's fault for having killed that other vampire that made luther feel like he had to get his revenge on john it's like uh never-ending cycle luther you already pointed this out why are you doing this you i thought you were the smart one in this group but no Kate got free of the ropes John had her tied with as he was bending over to pick up the colt and Luther attacks and smacks him away and knocks him out and John is now lying unconscious on the street and if it hadn't been for Sam and Dean not following John's orders to leave town as soon as they cleared out the nest and freed all those people if Sam and Dean had followed John's orders John would be dead right now they would not have the colt and the, the whole thing thing would be over but because they were waiting in the woods and because they still had the crossbows and the dead man's blood they were able to salvage this situation for John like John would have just completely fucking failed every mission ever at this moment if Sam and Dean had actually followed orders Sam gets himself ca- captured by Luther I don't know maybe he wasn't paying attention but he gets knocked over and dragged back up and dean's trying to get there and was too busy picking off all the other vampires with the crossbow so now dean's the only one unrestrained by vampires or conscious enough to actually do anything about it so while luther's holding sam around his neck threatening to break his neck if dean doesn't put down the machete dean slowly goes to put it down and luther's like you people, why can't you just leave us alone? We have as much right to live as you do. We hear John behind him say, I don't think so. And he shoots the Colt directly into Luther's forehead. And we get the very first dramatic cult firing shot. It's not the slow motion cult firing we'll see from the future, but it really does a number on luther like more so than it does on any other creature we've seen it used on i think so luther takes forever and a day to die from the cult wound and just amid some weird sound effects and flashy light noise it it, it, it's the weirdest cult death in the whole series but kate screams of course because john has already told his vampire's mate for life and kate was his mate and she was angry about this and it's like dude it was your fault if you hadn't killed Elkins these hunters wouldn't have been after you guys they, they didn't have anything against you they didn't even Sam and Dean didn't even know vampires existed until you invited them to come in by killing their friend like you lured them in here you can only blame yourself for this like really but it's the freshly turned woman vampire. Who convinces Kate to flee. And the two of them are the only two living vampires left from this nest. And they flee together. So, like, Kate, who's mad at the Winchesters, or John Winchester, for killing Luther. And who, John Winchester's been dead for, you know, by the time uh, we see Jenny again. She had nothing against John Winchester. She barely knew these vampires for a day. Uh, When the Winchesters came and killed them all. So like the vast majority of her time as a vampire has been without these vampires and with Kate. So like they had never run into each other again. They'd stayed off each other's radar. They weren't hunting for her. She like, why after all those years go back? Like, I don't get, I don't understand the motive. Where's the motive? There is none. It's bizarre. And again, I'm off topic and I'm going back to the point now. So, of course, they get back to the place where they'd been staying and John's upset. He's like, you ignored a direct order back there. And Sam's yes, siring again. And Dean's like, "Saved your ass. Like, John would have been dead if they had not ignored his direct order. And yet Dean is no longer willing to take another talking down to by John over it. Dean does not even flinch when John tries to stare him down. Sam blinks. He's like, what? Did you really just say that? Sam with his yes, sir, all ready to go. So on some level, this has been brewing for a long time for Dean to be able to do this, because this is even shocking Sam. Sam had been ready to just yes, sir, his way out of it. Dean's just like, no, fuck it. I'm not taking this anymore. I've proven myself. We saved your ass. You'd be dead if, if not for what we did. So shut up and admit that we're just as good at hunting as you are, if not better. But at least John has finally admitted to his sons that they're stronger as a family and that they will go after it together. And that gets the in unison, yes, sir, from Sam and Dean. So finally they are all on the same page so that's where we leave the winchesters at the end of this episode ready to team up together to hunt down the demon and get their revenge because nobody ever learns lessons on this show (laughs) but at least they're working together now and in my brain this episode and the next one sort of follow on to one another i mean because They literally do time-wise, but the very beginning of the next episode picks up all these same themes that we talked about this week, about the way John treats his children, the way they've always deferred to his authority, the way they stand up to him in this episode and insist that they be treated as equals and heard and... They expressed their free will in this episode against John, their God figure in their life, who will be compared to Chuck over and over again throughout the series. Even in his earliest meetings with Cass, you know, if your father gave you an order, wouldn't you obey? He holds that over Dean before he begins to break away and understand humanity a little bit better and understand free will at all. That right here, right now, Dean is ignoring an order, direct order from John. And this would have ended very poorly if he hadn't. So whose judgment are we going to trust from here forth? It's been set up now to be Dean's judgment that we trust. Sam was ready to yes, sir, John at that point, like after one little heart to heart where he understands John from the revenge quest standpoint and feels like john at least acknowledges that sam's on the same quest and it's like was that all it took to get you yes siring him again okay but dean's not standing for that anymore he is done and this is basically the point in which with or without john around dean is going to come to terms with so much of what he was willing to do while he was being sort of semi-raised by John and mostly raising himself and Sam. It's now the night after I initially recorded this episode and I've gotten to the end editing it and I realized there were two very important things that I left out that I needed to mention. One is, I realized it last night, as soon as I finished recording the episode, I went over to Twitter and forgot... A very very important point, and luckily one of the first tweets on my timeline spelled it out for me in a way that makes it very convenient, and I feel like I could probably like make a whole episode just about this topic. But the tweet it's from at Jay Jordan J A Y J U R D E N on Twitter, and I saw it retweeted on someone else's timeline. But it reads: one cannot fully understand vampires without first understanding bisexuality, and yeah. I mean, in this episode, Dean is so often centered around vampire stories when when there's a vampire as the monster of the week. And Dean was turned into a vampire and turned back. But he is the one who is bait for vampires. He's the one who's like, "Yeah, come and get me." The vampire in this episode that kissed him also kissed the woman that she turned and she wanted to turn Dean as well. So there's a very strong correlation here and vampires and sexuality and sexual deviancy, quote unquote, sexually transmitted illness. It's all wrapped up in vampire lore. And for some reason, it always seems to fall on Dean. Dean's the one with the vampire buddy in purgatory. Sam's only vampire friend is the vegetarian vampire Lenore, who doesn't, hurt people and like they're not even really friends but you know she gets through to Sam and he understands her and is like okay well you deserve to live but for some reason vampire stories tend to revolve around Dean oh they're they're not real they're made up no they exist you just didn't know they existed you know you, it, the truth of it was kept from you but I think that was a very the tweet pretty much summed up what I needed to say about that, I think, at least in the context of this single episode. The other thing point that I really needed to make was that Supernatural has a specific language uh, around the coding of the type of monster in an episode and what those episodes tend to focus on. And vampire episodes, right from this very first appearance of vampires in the show are about vengeance, revenge. And I mean, obviously, what was this episode about if not revenge? I would, I would have sworn that years ago, I made a post that went through the various types of monsters and describing the, the themes that each of them in Supernatural tends to reflect in the episodes where those monsters are featured and for the life of me I cannot find this post on my blog I have over 50,000 posts on my blog and not all of them are tagged well but <laughs> unfortunately um but v- vampires are, are about revenge vengeance and you know just the same way that shapeshifters are about uncovering hidden portions of your identity and and look examining your true identity But these themes tend to remain relatively consistent right through the end of the series, even considering that in the series finale, if if you can look at the series finale as Chuck's story of himself winning, like what we didn't what we saw wasn't what was real. It was Chuck's what Chuck wrote it. The vampires as revenge. Gosh, wouldn't Chuck like to get revenge on Sam and Dean and give them this terrible ending via vampire? Like, send them out on this ridiculous, pointless hunt? Like, nothing about that episode feels to me like anything other than Chuck writing petty revenge against Sam and Dean. And that's... Honestly, I I don't know how else to look at that episode. It doesn't really make sense otherwise. But I think for now, that's pretty much all that I needed to say about that so back to whatever it was that I recorded last night that is the little tail end of this episode (laughs) we'll get into this next week because it is very 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 late now and (laughs) that I'm recording this and next week's episode will like I like I said pick up all these same themes and drag them out into lovely new levels And we'll explore that in season one, episode 21, Salvation, next week. Salvation. Ah. (sighs) Their salvation would have been turning around at the border and going another way, I suppose. But they were in this at this point and committed. So here we are. Penultimate episode of the season. We are almost to the end of season one. Heck, Two more weeks and we'll be at the end of season one. I cannot believe I've been doing this this long already. Wow. Way to go me for sticking with it. (laughs) I was trying to think if I should do something fancy at the end of the season. Like do we do a end of season celebration of some sort or pick a topic and discuss a specific topic like unrelated to the season, but like some anything that anyone would like me to focus on more like a theme or anything anyone have any ideas for what we would like to do if I do a special episode after season one before starting season two I am open to suggestions or ideas or things people just want me to talk in more depth about if there's something I've talked about and you want me to expand on it by all means please let me know you can contact me on tumblr at mittensmorgle or at SPN George, or you can email me at mittensmorgal at gmail or if you're on the discord server just hit me up there and if you're not on the discord server and would like to be please just contact me through gmail or tumblr and i will send you a link anyways i suppose it's time to actually close this episode out and I honestly don't have anything interesting to say. It's just kind of a day. And I think I actually got all my general screaming and stuff out of the way during this episode. I mean, aside from the cat cutting me off at one point, just sharpen his claws on the... (laughs) behind me. Then uh, I really don't know if I left anything out or had anything else interesting to say but it's like 4 a.m so I think I'm just gonna call it I'm calling it a night good night